0: All Souls Forum is a production of the Unitarian Universalist Church at 4501 Walnut Street in Kansas City, Missouri. Each week they present a public forum whose mission is to deal with significant issues, especially those that involve ethical values of the contemporary world and to promote critical thinking. So, without further ado, here is this week's production of the All Souls Forum.
1: Okay, hello everyone, all of you, and here and on online, Um, and welcome to the All Souls Community Forum, coming to you from All Souls Unitarian Universalist Church in Kansas City. I'm Joe Robertson, a member of this church and a member of the forum Committee, um, which has been supporting this forum for uh, for, uh, nearly 80 years, has been leading important and compelling conversations on issues today. Today, we have Casey Starr, editorial writer Toriano Porter Toriano Porter and I think it's also a three-time uh book author and I had the pleasure of working with Toriano for several years at the Star first as uh, as reporters and then watching him really take off as a member of the editorial editorial board so uh there's always a lot happening at the Star and in in defense of free speech we have Toriano welcome to the forum
2: good morning everyone Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm really appreciative of the time and the opportunity to speak to you guys, but definitely want to say thanks to Joe for reaching out. Uh, when I was on the breaking news desk at the KC star, I shared a byline. We wrote a story together and it was one of my favorite memories. Joe is an excellent writer and community member. So, uh, thank you Joe for having me. All right. So my name is Toriano Porter. I'm an opinion writer for the Kansas City Stars Editorial Board. It's a position that I take with a great deal of responsibility. And part of my responsibility is holding public officials accountable for their mixed deeds, making sure they're doing what they're supposed to do with your tax dollars and, and also calling out BS as I see fit. <laughs> it's a um it's a humbling experience every single day. Um you guys might not know a lot about opinions, but everyone has one. <laughs> we all got them, right? But I get—I receive a lot of emails regarding the opinions that I write, <laughs> and so I read them all. I respond to ninety-nine point nine percent of them. The only ones I don't respond to are the ones that's probably going to get me fired. <laughs> but no, um, all joking aside, I, I really do. Um, embrace criticism and different opinions and different viewpoints. What I cannot be okay with, what I will never be okay with is the attack on the press and free speech. So I'm here to give you guys a little bit about defending free speech. Arthur, speaker, mentor, journalist, That's just some taglines I use. It's for promotional purposes. But, you know, Before I get into my speech, I really do want to um, give you guys a little bit of background of who I am and where I come from, so you can understand why I'm so passionate about what I do every single day. I was born and raised in South St. Louis. No boing, no (laughs) boing. I was born and raised in South St. Louis when I was in the sixth grade. My mom transferred me to a school 27 miles away from my home. I attended Elementary, junior high, and senior high at Eureka Elementary, Eureka Middle School, and Eureka Senior High. I graduated in 1992. As you can see here on this photo, that's me when I was 17 years old, signing my college scholarship to play football at the University of Central Missouri. Back then, as you can see by the shirt, it was called Central Missouri State University. That is how I got to the other side of the state. (laughs) At 18 years old, I knew what I wanted to do. My major was journalism. My minor was creative writing. Um, also, I wanted to be an NFL football player as well. But, but you know, I, I, I um, had enough people in my corner to tell me that um, you have to have a backup plan just in case you're not good enough. I also had people in my corner that was telling me, you're not good enough. <laughs> but but I did. I had NFL dreams. Also, I told myself, if I don't make it to the NFL, the St. Louis Rams or the KC Chiefs or whoever, I can always go to Hollywood and be like the same as movie writer or producer somebody like Spike Lee or somebody, right? Well, obviously, right? I'm not in Hollywood. <laughs> but I did say, if I don't make it to the NFL, and I don't go to Hollywood. I can always be a newspaper reporter. all. <laughs> so, here we are. Also, I am the author of three books. So 1992, my mom sent me away to college. She gave me 20 bucks and said, good luck, son. <laughs> Never came to visit me on college campus. Never came to parents weekend, anything like that. No big deal, right? I spent seven and a half years as an undergrad. That's a long story. We don't have time for it today. But... The day I walked across that stage in Warrensburg, Missouri, my mom was there, one of the greatest moments of my life. If you look down in the corner right there, that little handsome guy, that's my firstborn son, Toriano Porter II. He was maybe five, five years old in that photo. He lived with me at the time. It was very important that he see that I walk across that stage. So anyway, there's a quote that I stole from my college football coach. Terry Nolan. I think he told me his grandfather was lived in independence and they named Nolan Road after him. But I haven't verified that yet. <laughs> but anyway, he says, Man's this man's greatest moment of happiness is to be tested beyond what he oh, might be his breaking point and still succeed. I lost that scholarship that I signed it um in within a year. I flunked out of school my second year. I went home to St. Louis for a year that I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I could have went left or right. I had a good friend that told me I needed to go back to Warrensburg. So when I went back after the, for my fourth year, I pretty much started over. So that's how I ended up doing seven and a half years. Cause those first two years I partied and didn't go to class. (laughs) Anyway, so, um, that's a, that's a quote that I really take to heart because I really believe in it. I, I learned that at 18 and 19, I did not understand what it meant until I started falling, failing. And then I had to pick myself back up. So the next slide here. Okay, I'm the author. The Pride of Park Avenue is my first book. James Cool is my second. The Five People You Meet in the Hood Before You Get to Heaven is my third. It's a digital ebook. It's an audio book as well. Um, I wrote my first book, The Pride of Park Avenue. is a collection of personal essays, poems, and short stories about life growing up in South St. Louis on a street called Park Avenue in the 80s and 90s. Um, it was um, filled with gangs, guns, crime, but also community, business owners, and entrepreneurs. Again, I had a choice. Uh, for a long time in my life, I straddled the fence once I decided that I Wanted to live a decent life, law but law abiding life, I guess. The decisions I started making changed. But the Park Avenue in St. Louis is being gentrified. St. Louis University and a lot of wealthy developers are buying up all the land and homeowners and pushing them out. My grandmother is 90 years old, God bless her soul. He's been it at home her entire life. And what she told me last summer was, I'm not leaving. This is my home. She's fought these people for 30 years. So when you start understanding who I am and where I come from and the grit that I have, it stems from my mom and my grandma. Okay. James Clues, my first novel I wrote, is based in, it's set in 1985. It's a fictional story, but it's about girls in baseball. So St. Louis Cardinals played at the Kansas City Royals that year. Unfortunately, the St. Louis Cardinals was, were beat in seven games, close 11. I still have love for Kansas City, right? I'm, I'm over it. I'm over it. I'm over it. <laughs> and then the five people you meet in the hood before you get to heaven. I produced that during the COVID, the shutdown during the COVID. I was home. We worked from home in 2020. They sent us home in March. I got to November. I had nothing tangible to show for my time being at home other than the daily stuff that I was doing for the star. But I wanted something for myself. So I wrote five personal essays about the five people closest to me that I lost in an 18-month span. Um, That young boy that I showed you in that picture, he died in September of 2009 at the age of 16. He was shot and killed in North St. Louis. Two days before he died, my stepmom, Brenda, died of breast cancer. A uh, year a uh, few months before that happened, my young, my oldest son, my firstborn son, had an older half-brother who was shot and killed, and my one of my best friends from high school took his own life of suicide, and my other best friend, the one who told me when I was 21 years old to leave St. Louis and stop doing dumb dumb things that was going to lead to the penitentiary and go back to college. He was shot and killed at the age of thirty three. All these things happened within an 18-month span, back to back to back, 2008 going into 2009. Here I am, I don't know, 15 years later, I'm still standing, right? I'm still standing. It could have broke me. But I believe in something, something that you guys believe in, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, right? I believe in the Jesus. I believe in, I believe in God. And I believe in the spirit of redemption, reconciliation. And picking yourself back up. So I wanted to write a book. Basically, I stole this title from Mitch Abram. (laughs) The Five People You Meet Uh, in Heaven. (laughs) I I stole that title. It's one of the best books I ever read. It's one of the best titles I've ever heard. So he stole that title, The Five People You Meet in the Hood Before You Get to Heaven. So that was in 2020. In 2021, which was last November, Um, I went to a studio in Westport. And I recorded an audio book. So, all of these books were available on Amazon.com, Audible.com. Well, the, the audio book is available on Audible.com, and my website is Toriano Porter. Uh-huh. All right. All right. Those are my shameless plugs, guys. Sorry about that. All right. As you can see, I'm a speaker. That handsome face right there. I do keynotes, motivational workshops for children, commencement panels, conferences, you know, all those things. You know, just a little bio on me, journalist. I moved to Kansas City area in 2007. I was fortunate enough to be hired by the Independence Examiner newspaper covering Eastern Jack. Loved it. I did two years of hard news, two years of sports. I was the assistant sports editor. Part of my job was I got to cover the Kansas City Chiefs for their home games. made it. I made it to the NFL. But the first day I walked in that press box, I did not cry. But I told myself, "I'm done, guys. I made it. I could have retired then, right?" <laughs> but I had a football coach, another assistant coach, taught me this: you can always do more, right? You can always do more. So I stayed out in Independence for about four years. Then I went to the Lee Summit Journal. I covered the Lee Summit Journal from 2012 to 2016. So Examiner was 2007 to 2011. I was out of in between writing jobs for 13 months because of budget cuts and layoffs during that time. Lead Summit Journal 2012 to 2016. This is where it gets interesting now. The Lead Summit Journal is owned by McClatchy. McClatchy owns Kansas City Star. My whole goal is to be I wanted to write for the KC Star the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, just like football. I wanted to play for the Rams or the Chiefs. Newspaper-wise, when I was 18 years old, I told myself I wanted to either write for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch or the KC Star. St. Louis Post-Dispatch had a chance to hire me in uh, 2005. They blew it. (laughs) (laughs) They have to use this analogy. I don't know how else to say it. When Patrick Mahomes was drafted by the Chiefs, Alex Smith was the quarterback. right? Naturally, Patrick Mahomes spent the year behind him. Okay, no big deal. Um, when I got to the Lee Summit Journal, I told myself I was spending two years in the minor leagues. Then I'm going downtown to the big leagues. That's what I told myself. <laughs> it didn't happen like that. I spent four years in the minor leagues, right? So, you know, instead of being like Bobby Witt of the Royals and coming up to the big show, I was bubble stalling, talling in the minor leagues, right? So in 2015, I applied for a high school sports reported position at the KC Star. I was a member of the Lee Summit Journal. I didn't get the job. The sports editor told me I was overqualified. I was, fired. Mm-hmm. I was devastated, right, because I wanted to write sports. So I've always wanted to write about sports. But evidently God had something bigger for me in, play, in store, right? But I almost quit. I almost was fired as well. Had to make a choice. Again, when, you, when we talk about straddling that fence, and where I'm passionate about, I believe in myself, but I have to trust the process and I have to trust, I have to trust God. And so I had a good friend, uh, Therese Paler is his name. He's no longer with us. But in 2015, he told me this because we sold our building in Lee's Summit and moved downtown to the Star Building when we had that brick building that Ernest Hemingway used to write in. He was like, you're in the building. Don't leave. You need to write something to get the big dog's attention.
3: Again, I'm like, oh, man, I've been doing the work. Been putting in the work. He was challenging me to do more,
2: become a better reporter, turn some heads. Like two or three days later, <laughs> I got a tip about a superintendent in Lee Summit that had a girlfriend that was getting no big contracts from the school district. <laughs> wrote about that. A month later, the superintendent retired out in Lee Summit. Got on the radar of KC uh, Star Big Dogs, and in 2016, they hired me to become the breaking news reporter. So at 18, they set a goal. At 42, that goal came to pass. <laughs> That's 24 years worth of and grinding, grinding grit. So this is what I'm telling you guys when I get to my presentation. This is why I'm so passionate about free speech and press, freedom of the press. So in 2018, we um, underwent this um, digital transformation. We were shifting away from print. Going into digital, and they asked us to reinvent ourselves in a newsroom. (laughs) I reinvented myself as an opinion journalist. (laughs) And I was invited to join the Stars editorial board at the age of 2018. I was 46 years old. That's pretty young to be on the editorial board. When I tell you it has been a hands on master level class of opinion writing every single day since, it has. My colleagues are some heavyweights. I've actually, two of my editors were Pulitzer Prize winners, and my new editor now is a Pulitzer Prize winner. So I've had the opportunity in the last four or five years to work for three Pulitzer Prize winning editors. So, you know, for me, it's it's a wonderful thing. And I have to put that out there, too. Just like I wanted to go to the NFL, just like I wanted to go to the, you know, um, Hollywood. I do want to end up on a New York Times bestseller list for being an author, and I do want to win a Pulitzer Prize for being an opinion writer. It's in the atmosphere. It's out there. Nothing's going to stop me from getting that. That's when I'm on, right? Uh, Colleen um, Nelson-McCain, Melinda Hennenberger, and Michael Lindenberger. And I know Melinda came here and spoke. I, started, I was on the website doing a little research about the All Souls program and our community forum program. And the she spoke here as well. So I'm honored to be up here as well. So This is the crew that I, when I first joined the board, this is the crew that I was on. Man, yeah, that's, that, Dave Helen, he's, he, he just announced his retirement. You have these two Pulitzer Prize winners right here. You have Michael Ryan right there and Derek Donovan. long time, long time. Oh, a member of the KC Star, and then myself. We still own the glass building at the time as well. So this is a great picture. This, this is one for the archives right here. <laughs> so, anyway, that's a little background about me. To get into my presentation, I wanted to pull this quote from the ACLU The freedom of the press, protected by the First Amendment, is critical for democracy. A free media is a vibrant marketplace of ideas. A vehicle for ordinary citizens like you to express themselves and gain exposure to a wide range of information and opinions. i stand by
3: that. i stand by that. The headline.
2: Here we go. Letter. The Chiefs, Patrick McCombs, always keeps his eye out for himself.
3: woo <laughs>
2: Do you know the heat that we got for publishing that letter to the editor? Oh, my God. The letter writer, God bless this soul, he, he, he's from Lynn, Corbin, Illinois, right? And people were upset that we published a letter from someone who doesn't live here, right? It's okay. Last year, I think Buffalo Bills fans or Tennessee fans, somebody came to town, had a great time, and they wrote letters to the editor talking about how great Earlhead was and how the fans were. So we receive letters all the time from out of town. Also, I don't know if you guys know this, but in my lifetime, I've lost two football teams, the St. Louis football Cardinals and the St. Louis Rams. I am jilted. Do you hear me? (laughs) I am a jilted football lover. Jilted. Been left at the altar too many times. I respect the Chiefs. I respect the quarterback. I respect the coach and organization. But I'm not a fan. Not because I don't like the team. Can't afford to invest. I'm emotionally tapped out. <laughs> but anyway, so St. Louis doesn't have a team. Glenn Carbon, Illinois, is closer, is considered the TV market in St. Louis. They don't root for the Bears, they root for the Chiefs. This is according to the Nielsen ratings. So this guy has been watching the Chiefs on TV for the last two years. And I guess he had an issue. Here's the letter. <laughs> The headline says, put his eye in team. Uh, After watching the Kansas City Chiefs for the past two years, I think it is clear that Patrick Mahomes is not a team player. He doesn't care if his team wins or loses. All he cares about is how he moves. It's beginning to look very obvious. He's a good quarterback, but really doesn't care about his team as a whole. Come on now. You and you and you, everyone in this room, we all know that's not true, right? It's not true. We, But it's an opinion of some person that lives in Glen Corbin, Illinois. And he has a right to express that opinion. We, as a publication, have to write. We have a right to publish it or say it's not good enough. We chose to publish it. It wasn't my decision. But I'm going to always stand with the right to publish it. And here, the tweet, all right? Now, I'm looking around the room. I'm reading the room. Now, I'm not judging anybody, but I don't know if you guys are millennials or not, right? I don't know if you're going to consider yourself millennials, right? But this is, this is what millennials do. They tweet. Oh my! I'm on Twitter. I'm on all the social channels. I'm not on Snapchat. I'm sorry. But I do Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook. I don't know. I lose count. The only reason I'm on Twitter it's because I'm in the newspaper business. It took me three tries to get a blue check mark. I finally got one, but no big deal. No big deal. So, Patrick, Patrick Mahomes' wife, Brittany, is active on Twitter. That's what young people do. I'll give them grace. I'm 48, but I've been 28, I've been 18. We didn't have it. Had we had it, I probably would have done some things too. <laughs> we did some things too. But this is the tweet. This, this is the tweet. In response to our t- tweet, so I guess it's a quote tweet. Our tweet was, it's, it's automatic when we write a letter and publish it. The tweet comes out like this. He's a great quarterback, sure. He only cares about how he looks, not his team opinion. And as you can see, it's clearly marked opinion, and it's clearly, clearly marked letter. But no one reads that. Doesn't mean new details. They just read what they read. So, Brittany, God bless her soul, this is not a knock on Brittany. Y'all are extremely ignorant for this. Kansas City doesn't do this to his people. What a joke you guys are. Again, she has a right to express that
3: opinion.
2: Does it make it right or wrong? But I, I I shouldn't. Oh my God. The Twitter bots came after me. I shouldn't have wadded into this, but I had to. (laughs) So I quote tweeted Brittany. And this is what I said. Education, right? It's about education.
3: A few words. Number one, it's a letter to the editor. Number two, I don't agree. Number three, letters to the
2: editor do not reflect the views of the publication. They don't. But you cannot tell people that, especially Mm -hmm. loud people on Twitter. (laughs) Successful guys. I got caught up. I'm sorry. I did. I got caught up. Let me see. Here we go. Oh, 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 the feedback. There's always feedback. Now, this is the nice version. This is the suitable for family uh, time version. This is suitable for a church version. right? <laughs> One person wrote, and this is a guy who is, I'm really close with. Um, I consider a good pal. Bro, this was pure clickbait. It drives me crazy when people say that. In our job, When we write headlines and tweets, it's to raise um, curiosity. It's to get people to click and read. It drives me crazy when people say clickbait.
3: If people don't read it, what's the point of writing it?
2: It, Here's another take. It doesn't say letter to the editor in the tweet. And if the paper is fine with posting it and giving it the column instance, then yes, it does reflect the paper's willingness to be represented by it. So I have to go back. When we first put the story online, it just had the headline. That's where we failed at. It didn't have letter. So people thought it was an opinion piece. So, so within like 10 minutes, though, we corrected it, but it had already just took off. That's not that's on us as an editorial staff to make sure we let people know this is a letter to the editor. So we did mess that up with the rollout. The KC Star posts tweets every day. This, this is a pro letter. The subjects run the gamut from wars to disasters to stories of national and local importance to a variety of sports reporting. Most are lucky to get 10 comments for one post, one letter to the editor, to editor critical of Patrick Mahomes And watch out. <laughs> watch out. Exactly. So this is my personal take on it, right? This is my personal take. No one's above criticism. Not the star quarterback, not me, not the star editorial board, any of our editors or reporters. Neither are you. Well, maybe some of you guys, but no, I'm just kidding. No one's above criticism. Even if we don't agree, no one's above criticism. Exactly. And I don't understand why folks are so up in arms about this piece. I don't agree with it either, but people are acting as if the writer is alleging that Patrick Mahomes kicks puppies or something like that. (laughs) I had to include that. Thank you. That made me chuckle, too. I mean, basically, the man was just talking. Old man at the cloud. Like, he didn't insinuate that the guy was a bad guy. All right. Someone from publication read that and was like, hmm, this is an irrelevant, ridiculous view of some dweeb in Illinois Seems worthy of publishing. I've already explained why we published it from someone from Illinois. Letters to the editor are fair play, but I think the problem is how it was presented this is a fair critique. Like, oh, any idiot who matches his hoovers, hooves against a keyboard that has an opinion, suddenly becomes a headline. If I was a Stacy Star opinion writer, I would be mad as hell. But I wasn't mad. I can't speak for my colleagues because some of them were. Oh, also some of our star reporters were teed off, which really, really made me sad because they know as well, like internally, we have reporters questioning why we published the letter. That's sad to me because there's been many letters to the editors that's appeared in our paper over the years that I didn't agree with, Pro and con, many, I won't get into like the subjects, but. Pro-choice, pro-life, MAGA, anti-MAGA, all of these things, pro and against. Serious question: How many letters to the editor get submitted to the paper, and what is the selection process, and choosing which ones gets published? I don't handle no letters to the editor. That's a that's a process that Dirk Donovan handles, but. In this instance, he was on vacation for the first time in three years. (laughs) A lot of people don't understand that either. I haven't had a chance to sit down and talk to Dirk and ask him what he would have done. Had he been here with the letter? I can't speak for him. I don't know. But I will stand by this. We had every right to publish that letter. Okay. So that's the feedback. We got one more. Here we go, guys. A few facts, right? Letters to the editor are among the most widely read features in any newspaper or magazine. Letters to the editor are generally found on the editorial page. They can convince readers by using emotions or facts or emotions and facts combined. They are usually short and tight, rarely longer than 300 words. Using a few carefully placed letters, you can generate plenty of community discussion. That's courtesy of the Center for Community Health and Development at the University of Kansas in Lawrence. This last one. Using a few carefully placed letters, you can generate plenty of community discussion. And I think we did that based on the feedback that we got from not only the Twitter bots, but the letters we got into. And our editor was astute enough to publish some of those letters, uh, I guess, the following week we published why Patrick Holmes is is a great player. And why he's a great
3: uh asset to the city. So,
2: with that being said, I'm gonna close my speech. But as I mentioned earlier, <laughs> I don't see any phones out here, so I don't know if you guys are gonna follow me on Instagram or Twitter or not. <laughs> but I am on the social channels, uh Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Toriano Quarters, all one word, real simple. And my website is torianoporter.com. I'm opening it up for questions, comments, and concerns, but thank you.
1: Yeah, thank, uh, thank you, Toriano. Yeah, we've been listening to uh, Kansas City Star editorial writer and Arthur uh, Toriano Porter. Now, before we go to the question and answer section of this, and uh, and I also want to tell you uh, about our, our forum next Sunday. Next Sunday, we are going to have Jackson County Prosecutor Gene Peters-Baker. And so, so she will be talking about uh, building the trust in Kansas, rebuilding the trust in Kansas City's public safety system. And remember, uh, avoid making statements and just uh, give Toriano your question. All right, thank you.
2: Oh man, I, I, Gene Peters Baker gets to follow me. How about that? I wondered if you could comment on what you see as
1: the most direct threats to journalism today, including but not limited to actual threats against papers and individuals working for papers, but also changing public attitudes towards the institution as a whole. Could you talk about either those or anything beyond that?
2: Yes. Great question. The number one thing, and what's vital, is that we contain the spread of misinformation. Opinions are one thing, but to blatantly and purposely mislead people with articles and all these different things, I think that's the threat, especially with social media and the way things go viral and spread. Also, we, we don't have it as much as we did in some previous years, recent years. There's not this attack on the press like we're the enemy. That's the one thing that really bothered me over the last few years, that the press is the enemy of the state. Uh, We're not. We're the conduit to the people. (laughs) We hold the powerful accountable. Little old me from South St. Louis will hold your mayor, your governor, your police chief, and whoever, superintendents, whoever gets public dollars accountable. Little old me. That's the power of the press. That's a person, one person. I don't think I would have that ability. Maybe I could mobilize and get some people, but having the power to press and the pen—that's important. So that when you start attacking the institution of the press, I think that's the um, it's the biggest threat to what we got going on as a democracy. Because if you delegitimize the the, the
3: press, what do you have? Propaganda, and it's never good. Great question. I appreciate you. Thanks for coming. I love reading the Star Editorial page, particularly that Saturday piece you started
4: doing.
5: with The, the weekend topics. review.
4: I love it. It's great. Are there any things that are happening formally or informally in the industry to cultivate this mindset in young people because they're so ad-
2: Addicted to the social media sites where the misinformation seems to spread like wildfire. So, okay. just curious. Yes, we have embraced some of the younger reporters that we have in our newsroom, and they are using TikTok, Instagram, and all these different forms to push out the articles and opinion pieces that we're writing. They're very astute when it comes to misinformation, and we have award-winning editors and Joe Robinson can attest to this. Our managing director that runs the newsroom, Greg Former, is one of the best in the business. He's not going to train or allow his reporters to put out or spread any kind of misinformation, even on their own personal time. And I mean, people can do what they want to do on their own personal time, but if you're a legitimate journalist and you work for a legitimate publication, you're not going to pretty much be out there putting out your own conspiracy theories. But yes, we are actively training and and uh, having the younger reporters engage with some of the older reporters in the building. Fortunately, I'm able to do both. I'm nimble enough I can hang with the pups and still hang with the big dogs like Dave Helling, you know, and those
5: guys. Uh, good presentation. Thank you, uh, Those of us who have uh, been loyal readers of the Star over the decades, like myself, uh, have been saddened by by the reduction in local coverage. It, it's really tragic. And I know this is an industry-wide issue. Uh, you know, the star is now owned, I understand, by a New York hedge fund. And it's, its uh, yeah. I don't know what the future is going to be, but I'm going to ask for your prediction. Ten years from now, will there be a, a print Kansas City star? What? You see, I'm an
2: opinion writer for the KC Star editorial board, right? <laughs> That's above my pay grade. To be honest, I don't know. But what I can tell you is this every single day that I am allowed to write for this publication is a great day for me. Uh, unfortunately, I have really good colleagues and friends that no longer have the ability. And, and that's what motivates me and pushes me. So I'm a sunny side up guy always. So Hopefully, in ten years, we will still have a meaningful presence in Kansas City and still be able to make a difference, no matter what the form is. But when you pick up that Sunday paper now, man, and uh, you know, I started picking up the store in nineteen ninety-two, so I understand what you're saying. But I trust what we got going. I trust the people that's leading us, and I and I really feel like we will still have a great presence in Kansas City, no matter what realm or form that is. I hope you're right. Um,
1: uh, just picking up and going a little further with this uh, problem of misinformation uh, there's I see a a serious tension between the First Amendment and misinformation. You could read the uh, First Amendment to say that there is a constitutional right to misinform. Um, I don't believe that, but I do i I have not come very far in figuring out how we manage misinformation and stay faithful to the first amendment
2: man that's a tough one. Oh, that's a tough one and came up in an era and you guys may have too when they said yeah there's freedom of a speech but you can't yell fire in a crowded theater right i believe in that there needs to be some responsibility with free speech Hate speech ain't free speech. Blatant lies isn't free speech. It's propaganda. And we start talking about that. Yeah, we start about losing the democracy that we all stand for and what we all vote for. So that's a tough one. I, 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 I get it. And I just hope that we have enough proponents in America that's about free speech and First Amendment, but responsibly
3: educating the public. Thank you for that question. No, that's great. This question is not directly about free speech, but
1: your um, experience in South St. Louis struck me uh, uh, like it's a ton of bricks, actually, having lost friends to violence. Uh, and so I'm going to ask for an opinion on that. It, do you think there's some way we can get control of all the guns, or do you think that the ready availability of guns? And to this problem, not only in uh, South uh, St. Louis, but also in all the major cities, including
2: Kansas City. Absolutely. You hit it right on the head. It's the availability of guns. Okay. I came up in the 80s and 90s. There were certain things you had to do to own a pistol. You had to have a permit. You had to get a background check. You had to take training. I don't, I don't see anything wrong with that. The, all those parameters are gone now. So it's just like anything else, right? If you are 18 and you go to the store and you buy your first pack of tobacco products, cigarettes or whatever, right? Nine times out of 10, you're probably going to give it to a 15, 16-year-old you're hanging with. Same thing with guns. If you're 18 years old in the state of Missouri, you can legally own a firearm without any training, without a background check, without a permit. These guns are getting in the hands of young people who are getting into the hands of even younger people. And that is why you see in St. Louis, Kansas City, Baltimore, Chicago, any other major city you, you have, when you add all these economic and long longstanding disenfranchisement of people, communities, and you add guns to the mix, people are hungry, they're starving, they don't know where the next meal coming from, they're broke. You add desperation to that mix with guns, you get a, a powder keg, and that is what we're seeing. Absolutely. Missouri and needed to tighten up its gun laws and go back to having people do background checks, permits, and training. Neither of us ever drove a car without training or a permit or a license. No one ever did that. That thing is a weapon if you're not trained. Same thing with a gun. That's my thoughts. That's my opinion.
3: Appreciate that. Do you see any benefit in the possibility of a return of the fairness doctrine?
2: You, 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 you threw a curveball at me there, sir. Man, I hadn't thought of it. You're going to drop that bomb on me and you just leave? Uh, <laughs> I, I do the job was dangerous when you took it. Uh, I don't know how to answer that question because I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm just not sure. I, I just don't know how to answer that question now. It's been a long time since I took a journalism class. I think I left Warrensburg in 2000. So it's been 22 years since I cracked open a book. So I'm sorry, I can't answer that. Like I, I, if I sit up here and try the front and act like I knew something, you guys will call me a fraud and it messes up the whole thing. So, and I don't want to say I don't know, but I cannot answer that question. Sorry.
1: Okay. I'll take a chance here to ask a question. Hey, one thing I know that's changed since I was, in the newsroom, you know, the reporters wrote stories and editors wrote opinions. And I know you keep that separation between reporting and opinion writing. But I, I clearly, the editorial department is also breaking stories now. Like, I mean, tell me more. You, you, there seems to be a combination of reporting, although it's clearly repeated, re- described as opinions. But yes. tell me about that process. That's great. So wow.
2: Pauline McCain-Nelson. When she became the editorial page director for the Kansas City Star in the year 2018, one of the things she wanted to do was break news. And so she developed a, a motto, if you will, opinion journalism at the speed of breaking news. We need to write something that people don't know. No. So if we're writing editorials based off a news story, that loses steam because the story's already been written. People already know about it, but when we break news, that's when we get more views. Sorry, people call them clicks, but page views are important for a, for us to keep our jobs. If people are not reading what we're writing, we have nothing to let advertisers know we are doing this. If people don't subscribe to the paper, we have no uh, revenue. So page views and subscriptions are how I stay employed. It's how I am judged on my job. So, yeah, that's, yeah. So page views are important. Getting those things read are important. But anyway, so now that's our motto, opinion journalism at the speed of breaking news, which now is competition in the newsroom now. Like we don't want to get scooped by the reporters, and the reporters don't want to scoop us. But it's it's a really good thing to have.
5: Uh, two questions, if I can. One is: Has the Star ever considered converting to a not-for-profit model so it's not always so bound to advertisers? And then, uh, secondly, uh, uh, what what do you see as the uh, uh, the the future of the initiative to try to include the minority community more? And the paper's reporting. Absolutely. For your first uh, question about the nonprofit, again, that's above
2: my pay grade. I don't have those conversations. I'm not in the room with leadership and editors and uh, people who do that uh, as far as the model and how they're going to make money. Um, I just, literally, I it's just, just right. But um, the second part, our commitment to the minority community. Okay. A couple of years ago, the Star put out this public apology. The series was called In Black and White. And we went through this whole deal, right? It was powerful, made national news, international news. Uh, My colleague on the editorial board now, Marie Rose Williams, she was an education reporter. That was her idea. She spearheaded that collaborative effort. Had a small part, small, small part in it, but that was more the news side, right? But one of the things I I charged the manager, editor, and the president with was action. It's all good to put out this apology. It's all good to. acknowledge how we failed the minority community in the past. But what are you going to do about it going forward? So we're starting to highlight more minority talent. We're starting to put more minorities in uh, positions to be successful. And we are starting to explore more minority communities, whether it's KCK, Wyandotte County, or on the east side of Kansas City. So I told them we're on the clock. And so far, we've been answering the bell. So um, if and if we don't, I have enough leeway and cachet inside the newsroom that I can raise a little ruckus.
1: Something that has increased in the last few years, particularly in public perception, is the role of what we might call citizen journalists. Um, Could you define what you think that is? And where does it fit in in terms of legitimacy uh, to the whole uh, umbrella of Journalism,
2: you know, citizen journalists and citizen journalism can be a great thing if it's used correctly and it's used in a way that's going to inform and educate the public. The problem is any, as I quote from there, any dweeb with a computer can be a citizen journalist, right? So how are you going to build your credibility? How are you going to become a reliable source? You do that by being factual and fruitful. So. I'm respecting any independent journalist out here that's doing it the right way. I cannot respect anybody that's spreading lies and propaganda and stories that are untrue or even writing things that are untrue. Um, I came up in an era where I was a freelance writer, which is an independent contractor, which is like a real struggle to build credibility. And I was able to build enough credibility to get an opportunity at the Examiner in 2007. So. I respect independent citizen journalists.
1: Now, so Toriana, you mentioned, of course, the the you know, letters to the editor. Now, there are some. It's like you mentioned hate speech. There are some things that would not be published as a letter to the editor. I also suppose you're trying to get some kind of balance. Of you want to get alternative views in there, uh, and, and I'm not saying you shouldn't have done the Mahomes um, letter, but 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 the idea that sometimes somebody is, uh, is too much of an outlier, or and there's so much conflict now in the news. How do you? Judge, when you how did the letters of the editor weigh in not being part of that that boiling situation we had?
2: Yeah, one of the disappointing things that I experienced in defending this uh, right to publish this letter was some of the conversations I was having online with people that are inside the media. Um, whether I was our, our colleagues at the Star, was people at organizations outside the Star. One of the things that concerned me was people kept saying, well, "Y'all didn't have to publish that. It was clickbait. You shouldn't have published that." And my thought is, you know, as well as I know, if you're in the media game, a letter to the editor is not the reflection of the publication. If I write an opinion piece and it's a column and it has my name on it, Toriano Porter, that does not represent the views of anyone inside the newsroom other than myself. Same thing with that letter. That gentleman from Glen Carbon, Illinois, that was his view and his view only. He has the right to have that view. We have the right to publish it. I stand by that. I stand by that. Nothing's going to change that. I don't agree with the letter, but I agree with the decision to publish it because, hey, it does offer an alternative view. And it, it was really, if we really read the letter again, it was it was harmless. It was harmless. So if you're a star quarterback, that the worst, the worst criticism he can get in the newspaper. Whoo, you guys are living a charm life they in Kansas City, Missouri, and I am glad, glad to be a part of it because I know for a fact this is a football-loving town.
5: <laughs> okay. Uh, sorry to be up here for the third time. I've <laughs> got, got a lot of questions. Uh, Twitter. Uh, Twitter is basically uh, a, a giant forum for letters to the editor. Uh, it's very analogous. <laughs> so now we have Elon Musk who's taken over Twitter, and he's taken a very purist Defending free speech point of view. Mm, mm. What's your opinion on the direction he's taking Twitter? I don't like it,
2: but here's the thing. Oh, my God. I get so much information from, because, again, you can curate a little bit of what you allow into your digital space. So I try to follow legitimate news sources and organizations and people. Sports, politics, hard news, and regular folks too, because I have readers that I engage with, uh, and also politicians and stuff. So I want to stay involved. So I, I try to shield myself from some of the negative stuff, but I don't the direction that Twitter is going over the last couple of weeks, but I'm not one of them people. I'm going to leave it. First of all, first of all, I worked too hard to get my blue check mark. <laughs> I'm not leaving. <laughs> I'm also not paying eight bucks a month for it either. So there's a quandary here. We're in conflict. So it's a good form, Like you said, I think Musk is a, um, what you would call a student enough business person and entrepreneur. He's not going to mess with the business model too much because if he does, he's going to destroy something that's really great. So I'm, I'm watching, but I'm not ready to dive off the deep end. Like Whoopi Goldberg and some of those other people and announce I'm leaving Twitter. <laughs> I love my Twitter folks even the
3: bots.
2: (laughs) So is that it? Is that it? Is that my time? Is that my time?
1: Yeah, thanks. Thanks. Thanks again, Toriano Porter, a Kansas East Star editorial writer. And uh, so great discussion. Thank you very much.
3: Thank you. Thank you, guys.
0: And now here is a brief preview of next week's All Souls Forum. Rebuilding community trust in Kansas City's public safety system with Jean Peters Baker, the Jackson County Prosecutor.
4: So my name is Jean. I am your prosecutor. Um, I went to a forum recently over in Kansas where um, people I don't see on a too regular of a basis. So a lot of lawyers in that crowd, some Kansas judges, and I tell them uh, what I think it's important to tell you that. Um, I'm a real person. I don't just play a lawyer on TV. I actually am one in real life. I'd like um, to talk a little bit about public safety today and public safety specifically as it applies to Kansas City. But I wondered if we could have a couple of agreements before we get started. Um, The first thing I ask is that we could we all agree that black people are not inherently more dangerous. Than any other person in the universe. Now, I'd also like to ask um, if we could all agree that um, there is no one sole person or no sole entity that's responsible for this problem that we find ourselves in regarding violence. I think we could all agree to that as well. I get pitted, it seems a lot, against my Kansas City, Missouri police department, and I am just a one gal. I'm scrappy, grew up on a farm, um, I'm willing to fight, but that's a big entity to fight. So I don't relish that fight. I don't like that fight. I'd much rather we find some points of agreement, um, like we once did. We once did. and In some stats that I'm going to show you, you'll see um, how that kind of collaboration actually had such a great impact in Kansas City. So we're going to get to that, though. Okay, so we've got some points of agreement. Let's see if we can go through and and talk about crime. A couple other things I I would like you to take away from this, you know, right in the middle of a police chief selection process for Kansas City, that is a most important position and no one here has any say in who it's going to be. That seems quite wrong because you all pay for that police department just like you pay for the Jackson County Prosecutor's Office. Um, me, you get to vote on me and throw me out every four years if you, if you are unhappy, but that's not true with the police department. And because we don't have state control, of the department, it does create a lot of other tensions within the city, but that police chief selection process is going on now. Um, I have not heard yet, um, if they're going to be community forums, I would pray that they're going to be. And I would ask you guys to go and make sure that your voice is heard, um, because, the, there is a lot of ways that our city gets divided, north and south, um, not just east and west. So remember that. And I think it's very important for you to go and hear, have your voices heard as well. Now, I think even though I'm proud of my system, I'm proud of being a Jackson County prosecutor, we'll also say that our system is pretty broken. It doesn't work so well. And we know that because we know that. The vast majority of crime that happens in this city is not even solved by the police. So it doesn't even come to my desk for y'all to grade my performance on it. It doesn't even get to me. So only, in, only about one in two homicides get to me. Only about one in two. And non-fatal shootings, only about one in five, one in six get to me. Those are bad numbers. Um, because those are very large numbers of people. And then there's a lot of other crime that we have to worry about as well. Um, now, as I said earlier, this, uh, this failure impacts everyone in the public safety system. But no one person is at fault for this. No one entity. Um, no singular policy. But we all suffer from it. Now, I know that's kind of depressing but I know we can do better because we have, we have right here in the city. We have done better. And we did it through collaboration. Very, very high levels of collaboration. Um, But it must be that must be the answer going forward. Collaboration. So um, while we have this new leadership role that's coming to us, I think it's important for us to demand of whoever, our next police chief is that they're a true collaborator not just with the prosecutor in the courts. You would expect that. That's a low bar, but with community, with community agencies, um, because through this combat tax that you guys are so generously um, support, we fund a lot of community agencies in Kansas city that address crime, drug treatment, Um, and a variety of other issues that help lift people up out of poverty. And without that, I'd hate to see where we are. Right now, we are sixth. We are the sixth most violent city in the nation. Sixth. And that's not new. All right, I talked a little bit about uh, clearance rates. And this chart is just a little bit dated. I use it because I didn't create it. You can see who did. The uh, Kansas City Star. So call them if you're mad. But this um, this is 2014 to 2017. And you can see for murder in 2017, um, our we were at 50.7% in our solves of murder. Nationally, it's at 60%. So we fall below nationally in almost every single category and sometimes substantially below what the national clearance rate is. You know, it's important for us to look at that. It's important for us to look at that, to grade how are we doing. If we're doing this poorly, below the national average, isn't it okay to say maybe we're not great? Maybe we have room for improvement. 2014, this was a big year for us. Um, Kansas City's solve rate for homicide was 70.9%, so almost 71%. And the national clearance rate that year for murder was 61%. What happened? What do we want to do? What did we do this year? We should do that again. Um, Because that was a big deal. Now, I want to tell you more about why that was a big deal. Because in 2014, we really dipped in the number of homicides that we had as well. So it's great to solve homicides. And it's great to get that to the prosecutor. And it's great to get justice in a court of law. That's what I do. You know what's even better than that?
3: They don't happen.
4: That they don't happen.
0: Thank you for tuning in to the All Souls Forum. Keep your radio dialed to 90.1 FM, KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio, for your Jazz Afternoon with KC, coming up immediately. Followed by The Boogie Bridge with Jason Vivoni and then the Heartland Labor Forum at 6 p.m. In the meantime, have a great day.